This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you're listening to another episode of the Crown Cast, and we've won our first game of the season. Charlotte FC started their season at home at the bank. As we always do, definitely, we went out and we destroyed our opponents in New York CFC. Uh, we sent them, sent them home crying. And now the world knows you don't mess with Charlotte FC. We are a powerhouse. And it has, been, it has been shown to the world in the fact that we have jumped drastically up the MLS powerhouse ratings. But how real is that? How much of a powerhouse are we? And here to discuss that with me today is Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Hello. Yeah, you don't mess with uh, Dean Smith's Charlotte FC, it seems. Yeah, one game, one win. So uh, there we go. Excited to get into it. So my, my question to you today, Ewan, is how many games in a row is Dean going to win? And do you think it's measured in the dozens or in the hundreds? <laughs> well, I mean, we don't even have to get into the hundreds. We can still stay in the, in the dozens and, and quite easily win an MLS Cup. So yeah. I think a lot of people would snap your hand off for that. If he can do the hundreds, we'd be very grateful. But yeah, I, really, we, really, we don't even need that. I think it's suffice to say that if we, if we won hundreds of games in a row, Dean Smith would probably go down as a pretty good coach for Charlotte FC. You think that's fair? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's hundreds in a row, you, there's, there'd be a hard, we'd have a hard time keeping him. I know he's, he's got the family ties. He's got his house in, is it Myrtle Beach? He's got the, uh, he's got little, he's got the uh, bit of property. I know it's all made for him, but uh, if you win that many games in a row, um, some people will be calling. So uh, maybe we need him to be less good. Maybe we, maybe we, for our own sakes, need to temper our expectations. <laughs> we'll let him drop one game every 20 or 30. I think that's probably fair. Yeah. Keep us honest. Uh, really quickly, I will say, if you're listening to this, Josh was supposed to be with us today. And unfortunately, Josh has a, a young child at home. And alongside of having a young child means that sometimes you get the family sickness. So uh, Josh is currently in what I would describe as not a great way. He's not, uh, not in any danger, not in the hospital, but certainly not feeling well. So if you hear this, do us a favor, reach out to him on Twitter or in the Discord. If you're in the Discord, wish him the best, wish him well, because it seems like he's having a rough time over there. If you're not in the Discord or if you'd like to be, uh, join the Discord, you can join us over on Patreon. We have started up a Patreon. It's five bucks a month. You're going to get a lot of interesting extra bonus content. You're going to get to chat with us in the Discord, help us decide what topics to talk about in the pod itself, and you're going to get access to the post-react podcasts, uh, something we really enjoy doing. So if you want to find out who our crowns and cards are, you can check it out over there on Patreon. Uh, this Wednesday cast will, as always, remain free. So if you can't uh, join us on Patreon, we're just happy to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. And I think we get into it, like we said, first game under the new manager, 100% win ratio, everything is amazing. I, I want to take this opportunity, Ewan, just for a brief moment. Since we are so good, I'd like to laugh at some of the other MLS teams. Would you, would you laugh at some of the other MLS teams with me? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we might not get a better opportunity to do it than now. So let's, let's make the most of it. <laughs> yeah. So in the Eastern Conference, now, to be fair, Inter-Miami has played two games. So they are in the number one spot 
uh, by nothing but virtue of the fact that Dean Smith hasn't won his second game yet. He hasn't had the opportunity. That's not on Dean Smith. Which means that if you ignore the fact that Inter Messi is at number one, Charlotte is tied for number two on goal difference. So not too bad. We're, we're basically going to win the league. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at, looking at it here, obviously. Um, into, into Miami, put them in Rome, you know, area. Two games versus one. Um, three teams in the Eastern Conference win. Uh, it's Charlotte. It's Columbus, obviously the, uh, the champs from last year. And it's DC United, who are my sleep team for this season, um, which I mentioned to uh, a couple of people before the season started, which now looks like I'm lying because they've won a game and I'm claiming this. So, I mean, if they're my sleeper team, they're as good as, you know, one of the best teams in the league, obviously. Um, so, yeah, us, them, Columbus, the only three teams of the win. Everybody saw it coming. There you go. The elite of the, uh, yeah. the conference. So, <laughs> obviously, I'm going to make fun of Atlanta because Atlanta, way down in 13th, where they belong, right? All Charlotte people will agree. Get Atlanta out of here. Keep them in 13th. That's totally great. New York City, who we put there, rightfully in their place in 14th. I think that feels good for us. And New England is down there. I, I'll be honest. I don't have a strong opinion on New England, but they're down there. The, the last bit of laughing at the table that I'd like to do is everyone in between those, those people we've mentioned drew, drew their matches. And I'm just so happy to not be there. Ewan, how nice is it to turn the tables and let everybody else have a draw for a while? It's really strange, kind of looking at everything, results coming in. It was just like, you know, you, I don't even know if, I don't even know how to take it because I was kind of analyzing it from a wider perspective. I don't know the historical precedent of all the draws, but it usually feels like you come into the first game of the season, teams win and the teams lose, and, and everything just kind of zerps into this season's going to be a disaster and this season's going to be great. Because there were so many draws, it was, it was really strange um, trying to figure out the, uh, the lay of the land, so to speak. But um, we, can, we can have a real fun time laughing at them because we had a fair, fair share of draws. And uh, yeah, we're looking at moving on from that. And yeah, we'll enjoy our place in the, among the elites in the conference for uh, hopefully longer than this. But if this is our only time there, we'll, we'll savor it. I just got like the mental image because people do react pretty strongly to the first game. Obviously, I don't think we're going to win hundreds of games in a row. Right, like I can go have fun for the fact that we have a 100% win ratio under Dean Smith, but people do react strongly to the first game of a season. And instead of people cheering and, and people being really down on themselves, I do now just have that image of all of those teams' fans leaving the stadium, just sort of shrugging their shoulders, going, meh, who knows? <laughs> That's it. It's the, it's the imagery that a draw conjures especially at this stage of the season i'm sure there's context which adds to this stuff you go result by result it draws a better team, a result for this team the away teams usually rather than the other team but yeah it feels like going into the second week of this with everyone almost as in, in as much of a stalemate as they were to start so yeah it's um yeah we're, we're redoing the opening week <laughs> everybody so you and how optimistic does a win out of the gate make you i mean obviously we set our predictions already those are out there on the internet for everyone to see and hear does this change your perspective does it give you more reason to be a little hype i mean i talked about the power rankings i think the M official mls power rankings threw us up to like 15th but they're wildly results based because they put new york city down to like 
32nd or something. So how does this how does this shuffle out for you? Yeah, like it's a league with a lot of churn, isn't it? A lot of players leaving and there were a fair few different coaching changes. So I suppose coming into the season, maybe there is going to be that big reaction off the first game um, when you actually get seen the, see the teams play in a competitive environment uh, in MLS. For me, the result is encouraging because of the, we'll get into this a little bit later, the three-game road trip that we are about to embark on. If we hadn't have got this win in the bank, um, not to be scheduled watching at this stage, but we were we were going to fall into a situation where we were up against it and, and maybe falling behind early doors. And you just want to get as much goodwill going as possible for a new regime as you can. So a first game win ahead of a tough uh, road schedule for an opening uh, opening part of the season. It, from that perspective, it is really important. Um, which bakes into the idea of, of how encouraging the the actual performance was for the team, which you hear a lot from people like, you know, the, the performance doesn't matter in this. This is the kind of game where you just need to get a result. I fall into that maybe a little bit just from the perspective of that road trip that we're about to go on. And also the fact that this is a team which, compared to other teams in, in MLS, I think this is about as incomplete a team as there is in terms of the work that is still planned to be done with the DP coming in, tactical implementation, with the fact that the players that we do have and have already signed have come in late. This was a game where it's like, okay, we're not going to get, we're not going to be perfect to everything yet. But if we can just get a result in this game to kick stars and get a bit of good mood going on, that would be massive. And we've gone. If we're still performing like this in, in six, seven weeks, it's less about the results and more about, okay, where is the actual direction of this? But you can maybe make an excuse for the fact that the performance wasn't that great, but the result came. And that's what matters mostly at this stage. Yeah, the result definitely matters a lot. It's always good to get off on the right foot. I think the thing that matters for me out of this game and will continue to build confidence for me was our defensive performance. We talked in the preseason about how much preseason actually matters. And I said, not that goals don't matter in preseason, but there's a lot of times that a scattered defense in preseason is more likely to give up a number of goals than a more set in-season defense, MLS-level defense. So while it's always good to see yourself scoring goals, going out and scoring five in preseason doesn't really mean that much to me. But having a remarkably good defensive record in preseason, which we have, we have quite a few shutouts in preseason, does usually translate to a defense that is at the very least functional. It may not be special, but it does usually mean that the system is solid. One defender may not be the best defender in the world in their position, but if you're constantly rotating pieces in and out in preseason when people don't have a lot of time to pick up and learn and don't have time to build those automatisms, it usually means the system itself, even with pieces that are being plug and played with, is solid. And I think that's kind of my takeaway from game one. My big takeaway is that it looks like the defensive system is solid and we can get into a little bit more about why I feel that way and what you think of how we're playing our defensive structure in a little bit. I want to go to a question from the Discord. Just a little uh a little shout out. Soyunza from the Discord asked us a really good question and that is Charlotte FC in this particular game lined up offside on some set pieces. And there's a number of tactical advantages that come with lining up offside and Ewan, I'm going to let you describe literally every single one of them. 
So don't miss any of them because all the pressure's on you. <laughs> yeah, it's a fairly layered um, method uh, from free kicks uh, when you're trying to deliver a uh, cross into the box. Uh, there's two main reasons. There is also a third um, that is less kind of tackling important. And I'll, I'll get that one out of the way first. It, it can use it, it can be used as a fairly good marker for a uh, set piece taker to kind of visualize where exactly distance wise they want the ball to go. If you look at where those lined up offside players will be, it would usually be in the position where if you could say, okay, this is where exactly the ball will land on a player's head. This is where you want it to be. That perfect distance near the goal, but where it would give a keeper, uh, probably make them think, okay, it's a little bit too far out for me to claim it, get them in or get them in no man's land if they do decide to come out and claim it. So that's one of the reasons. But the other main two, um, one of them, and this, uh, any fans of uh, English football will have seen this from Sunday. It's kind of became a bit of a talking point. The idea of screening from set pieces, um, much like in, in basketball, once you set a high line defensively from a set piece and your players lined up offside, who can then move back, if you can get those players to act as a disruption to the defenders moving backwards, that can really impact the marking element of uh, of a set piece and get a little bit of spacing for your uh, for your attackers. They can just get free of the marker. If the ball's there to be won, they've got that little bit of space to go for it. That is tough to manage sometimes. You saw with Liverpool that the uh, physicality of that came through a little bit too much and ended up being an incident that was uh, reviewed by VAR. You want to make it a little bit, you know, you, you want it to be a bit innocuous. You want to just get your body in the way, almost a little bit half, so that they do actually get round you, rather than give them an opportunity to actually go down and cause a free kick or bring yourself into play as uh, as getting the goal ruled out for offside. So that's uh, that that's one of the elements that are that are important for this one, um, free kick wise. I mean, this together. In, I, I can step in and I, <laughs> I I can say something that I see a lot of teams doing with these offsides players is yeah. they, they're not just creating screens and don't get me wrong. The screen creation is very important. They're sowing chaos. There is an inevitable uh, mentality in everyone that when they see someone clearly offsides, they say that person's offsides, they're out of the play. Yeah. But what setting someone offsides can do is it can mess with the defensive line. They might say, the defensive line might say, hey, those people are offsides. And while they're offsides in that particular part of play, if the ball then goes to someone who travels beyond them, closer to the goal, and can pass backwards to those players, the defensive line might have already written them off and failed to mark them, and they become live in the play. This happens a lot, especially when you see people set up offsides in live play. You see people will intentionally go long, force the defense to forget they're there. And then when the buildup goes to the outside wings and overlaps them, they become live, but the defense has chosen to go other places. And they're often completely unmarked. It's difficult to execute well, but if you do it well, it's very effective. The other thing that I have seen it do is that you can manipulate where people set their defensive lines. And you can sort of fake that you're running back onsides. And you can watch people set their defensive lines a little bit higher. You can watch them, or maybe they move it back a little bit in order to help feel like they can cover for those players. However, they react to those players offsides. Once you learn that, it gives you a setup advantage. And when you're playing a game at this level, 
those fine margins matter. This is one of the few times in a game that you get to control a significant amount of how the play goes down. It's like an American football play. It's from a set place. It is all controlled. Any margin you could get, you should go after. I, I like that I'm seeing more of it in the MLS. And you and I didn't mean to step on your toes there, buddy. Is no, were no, you I, going down a similar route or? Yeah, yeah. It, it's my fault because uh, it's kind of classic me. I've written notes for myself, which I didn't think would I understand what these are 10 minutes later. Never mind, a few hours later. So what I was confused about was that I wanted to speak a bit extra on the second point. I'll just touch on it there. What you mentioned there with the NFL type of this, if people know about picks versus rubs with wide receiver play with this kind of stuff, you also want to introduce that because that's a little bit of a touchy situation where it's like, oh, is it your yard above? Is it this? Could it be seen as pass interference? You want to make it innocuous like a wide receiver would in the NFL. Now with this, what you mentioned there with trying to com- with, with trying to distort the defensive line, that's what I was getting to. The idea that when you have those two players there, and if you can have a dummy runner on the free kick, which you would have seen with us, I think it was Jere Erinen, who was our dummy runner. If they can run over the ball first, the defensive line of the opposition reacts to that, and they come back a little bit further, not only is it easier for those players to get back on side, the line and come off side, but you're also bringing the goalkeeper and the defensive line closer together. Something which I actually spoke about last year that Charlotte had an issue with, with how deep Latanzio had our defensive line from set pieces and caused a lot of issues because as a set piece taker, you can put the ball in as deep as you like because the deeper the defensive line is, the harder it is for a keeper to claim it just by the fact that they're battling more bodies. The higher line can create a, bit, a little bit more clarity. The deeper you can get that line, the more you can you know, put a goalkeeper in doubt. Is it mine? Is it not mine? And you can get that ball really further. You can get it a lot further to the goal. The problem that we have um, with the way we were doing it was that the offside players, the players we had lined up offside, weren't reacting to the dummy run over the free kick. So the dummy run would happen. The offside players would stay on side and there wasn't that doubt in the defensive line's head of, okay, we need to set off here because these guys are coming back. The dummy run is happening. Like It, it has to match up. That has to match up and make it believable that, okay, the free kick is actually being taken now. We weren't selling the dummy of the free kick good enough to get that depth of the defensive line. That's something that not only do I think we should uh, work on a little bit better, it's also something quite fun for people to keep their eyes on in the next game if we get free kicks in those areas. And that dummy run comes, look at those offside players and see if it matches up a little bit better. Yeah, so something I want to get to in a later podcast, and remind me of this, and we don't have time for it today, is the power of lateral runs, and especially the power of lateral dummy runs. But that is some that is some stuff that you and I can go nerd out about, and maybe we'll do its own podcast on. Um, let's talk about differences we saw in the team live in the real situation. And one of the ones I want to talk about is how we set up off the ball. A lot of last year, you might have heard me saying, "Why are we not playing a four four two?" We don't always have to play a four four two low block or four four two mid block. I personally tend to lean more towards the 4-4-2 mid-block. So right now, Dean Smith is in my good, good books. But a 4-4-2 is a well-known, easy-to-execute, easy easier-to-execute, good defensive system that, that covers all bases quite well. People can move in and out of a 4-4-2, and their positions are not super technically advanced where they need to go and spend 
nine years figuring out their position, or they need to spend a, a season and a half under one of the best coaches in the world in order to really nail their position down. We are setting up often in a four-four-two, but one of the things that I noticed, and I, I want to sort of address one of the cards I gave in the post-react, is I gave a card to Junior Urso for his technical deficiencies in defense. But one of the things that I watched him do, and I think Dean Smith is going to choose over individual technical brilliance, is who holds the line and who holds the position. If you look at the players that he went with, a lot of them were players who were going to hold his line, were going to hold his shape. And even if in individual moments they did not shine, off the ball they were the ones making sure all the lines were in order. Off the ball, they were the ones making sure people weren't falling out of their holes. Off the ball, they were the ones setting up that defensive system in a way that ultimately resulted in us giving up not a lot of XG. You and do you know the XG off the top of your head? I had it and I've lost it. Is that for the game as a whole? For the game as a whole, yeah. We gave up something yeah. like 0.3 XG. It, it wasn't very, a lot. It was very low. I think it got refined into like 1.5 versus uh i think maybe 0.7 for them so i think i think yeah. we doubled it up uh no matter uh, you know regardless what the numbers were we had we doubled them up on xg yeah i want to say i saw something like 0.4 but uh, i either way we didn't give up a lot in this game and i think dean smith is going to be a coach who says you have to be able to play the system first and if you play the system well then your individual technical brilliance can go shine, but you're going to have to play the system first. Ewan, thoughts on how we set up off the ball, and are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah, I definitely see what you're seeing from the perspective you mentioned, the 4-4-2, the, the simplification of things. Um, and we can talk about formations, systems, things like that. Um, the, the main difference that we're getting is the zonal stuff versus the man-to-man -man stuff that, we saw a lot of under Latanzio. Um, just you know, let's you know, let's picture in our heads the theoretical of the team playing out from the back from a goal kick. Um, let's say that it's a standard centre back taking the goal kick and passes it to the goalkeeper, and we have the striker pressing the uh, goalkeeper, the right back pressing the centre back, uh, the right winger pressing the centre back. Sorry, the midfielder coming out to right back, and then if the ball goes through to the full back, um, our fullback is then pressuring them because we're pressing high and we're doing we're doing it man to man with dean smith there's still a, a, a high pressing element but it's zonal so capetti will be angling a press so that if the ball's passing the goalkeeper to the center back he then will get in front of them vargas will come inside savage will be angling onto the fullback if the ball comes back around capetti will pass it on vargas will be blocking that pass into a, a fullback and then the midfielder on the other side won't be jumping on the fullback. They'll be allowing that pass to come into that space and angling it inside. That's the main word that I would use, the idea of angling presses rather than just kind of going directly and trying to get into players' face. It's the pressing to restrict build-up versus the pressing to win the ball that we're talking about. This is more the idea of filtering build-up into the wide areas. Latanzio's was often a little bit more about winning the ball. It, it became that much more as the season went on um, and, and, and varied into other areas, but that was the main, uh, that was the main uh, objective of the, of the pressing that we saw from the Latanzio team. 
And I think one of the things to look out from this is that, and this might just be New York-centric, uh, because they are a team that is looking to get the ball uh, played central. But then again, that's what a lot of teams are trying to do. We are more comfortable with the ball being with the opposition um, in the wide areas, say, 20 yards into our own half, than we are with the opposition having the ball in the middle of the pitch, as in in the middle of the pitch, not just centrally, yeah. like 20 yards further back. That's one of the things. They don't that... like it when they have the ball in the center circle. Exactly. It will, it, we, we would be happier for them to be 25, 20, 30 yards further up the pitch as long as it's wide versus them being able to access the areas centrally. And one of the interesting things to think about looking forward is most teams want to progress the ball centrally. Some teams prioritize it a little bit more than others. We actually don't prioritize it too much at the moment, and that's something that we can get into. Um, but whether that whether the pressing that we saw and the angled press is something that's going to continue as part of what we believe, or whether that was something designed specifically for New York, that's going to be a really interesting thing. And if you go back and watch this game, you'll see it because when they get the ball kind of not in the not in the really early build up situations, but when they have it settled in build up. And we're talking about the centre-backs having the ball sort of 30, 40 yards away from their own goal. Tavares and um, Vargas, when the ball is in the middle of the pitch, they're about the width of the centre circle. Whereas a standard setup would have them almost in between the lines of the centre-back or the full-back to the winger. Like We're kind of happy to give them that pass, to give them the pass into wide spaces. Whereas in this game, you saw a, a real blueprint of, okay, this is the areas which we're actually going to allow you to have. We're obviously making it, we're making it really obvious that you can have these areas. Um, and then from there, you actually see the benefits of that because they didn't progress it very well from there at all. And we were dealing with cross as well. So yeah, that's something to keep an eye on as we go here. So let's talk really quick about the fullbacks because I think Nathan Byrne had a, a difficult job. Uh, New York City's number 10 is not a nobody. He's a pretty good player. And Nathan Byrne had to deal with him for a significant amount of the match. I also think that we can talk about how both left and right back for Charlotte FC played a little differently. I think that I have become so used to seeing fullbacks that bomb up the pitch. I've become so used to seeing fullbacks that, that run the overlap for their uh, respective winger that oftentimes I can fall into the trap of seeing a fullback not make those runs, not get up the pitch, not do overlaps for their wingers. And I can feel like they're not contributing to the team in necessarily the ways I would want them to, that they're not supporting that attack. And maybe I could say I would like to see, again, with one game of evidence, us allow the fullbacks a little bit more freedom to get up and support the attack. But we have one game of evidence, and defensively, they had quite a job to do. What was your opinion, your perspective on the fullbacks in this one? I think our fullback played better playing more traditionally than they did inverting, um, which shouldn't be a surprise for two fullbacks who are fairly experienced and will have played as standard fullbacks uh, for the majority of their careers. Um, what you mentioned there in terms of the overlapping stuff, that almost comes in hand-in-hand -hand with the out-of-possession stuff when we think about zonal... Uh, um, being more zonal than we are man-to-man. Uh, -man. Speaking broadly about football, if we're talking about pros of this the co uh, and, and the cons of this and, and everything like that, one of the benefits that zonal stuff will give you is just general organisation is better. 
better. You will allow less space um, by playing at zonal than you will man-to-man because man-to-man can drag you around the pitch. Players can just go and stand. Once a, once a manager detects that an opposition is playing man-to-man, that they'll just tell players to just stand in certain areas of the pitch, open them up because they know that a player will come with you. Um, whereas with zonal, you just get a little bit more control and you're asking less of your players in terms of defending large spaces. And it's that element of defending large spaces, which with Yedda Erin and Nathan Byrne, with their age, might be something that they struggle with against MLS wingers. So think about that in terms of our in-possession stuff, where we're not demanding them to bomb down the line and, and get those overlaps going. Not only is it maybe kind of, you know, halting the load on, on what they exert on the pitch, but also from a rest offence perspective, if we are in those uh, wide areas and the wings are playing further forward, the fullback is acting as just kind of support. Like if you get in a dead end or you're being doubled up, I can put in a cross from a certain area, Ben put a couple of decent crosses on the weekend, I thought. They're in a nice area to just kind of support, get the ball back into the midfield, just keep it ticking. Versus if they overlap, a ball goes into the box, it's dealt with. And now we're in transition and we're asking Melanda and uh, Andrew Privet to do quite a lot. We already asked Melanda to do a fair bit with the way that we set up. We don't want to be asking him too much. We don't want to reach uh, into and uh, to not, I can't come up with a better phrase than this. I don't want to be mean to the guy, but into those Latanzio um, areas of demand for Melanda, which were kind of over, the cup was running over with what we were asking of him with that. Now, fullback wise, with what we're asking them to do in possession and the way that we, design, uh, that we line up zonally out of possession, not asking them to press high up on the opposition. We're getting better performances out of them because we're asking just a little bit less out of them physically. Both of them really, really good crosses of the ball. They'll struggle to do that if they're tired, and also they'll struggle to do that if they're inverted. Yeah. I mean, it is quite hard to cross a ball from the middle of the pitch. Although now I kind of want to see them try, just for the sake of fun. Ewan, let's talk, <laughs> since, since we're talking about how people get up the pitch anyway, let's take a, a brief minute to talk about how we're, we're seeing attacking differences already. I'm going to sort of stick my flag in to the idea that I think Dean Smith... I don't think anyone will be shocked by my saying Dean Smith wants to attack as quickly as possible. But I think Dean Smith is not... We talked about how he's not necessarily trying to win the ball back high. I do think he's not trying to win the ball back until he's in the midfield. The reason for that is I think he wants that space over the right and left sides for for what will eventually be fast, dangerous DP wingers to go run into that back line. I think if you looked at where Latanzio tried to win the ball... There wasn't space to go kick a ball out for someone with speed. We saw issues with Mackenzie Gaines not being able to utilize that speed in the Latanzio system. I think Dean Smith will, will try to create more space behind a defensive line of Charlotte FC's opponents in order to use it. How do you see the attacking differences in the rapid attacking system of Dean Smith's style? And just to touch on what you mentioned there, that the high pressing stuff again as well. Um, and, and I mentioned the, the pressing to win the ball versus pressing to direct the play into the areas that you want it to go. Um, Latanzio, obviously, I mentioned there, winning the ball, it's obvious how that can create attacks. You now have the ball, now do something with it. The directional pressing that we do under Dean Smith, the Capetti chance, which people talked a lot about, the, the kind of fresh air swing and a miss. That came from the opposition playing the ball themselves into an area they didn't want to by our pressing. A chance 
or, or at least an attack that came two minutes or three minutes, either quickly is it into the game where Capetti pressed the opposition, play, played a bad pass to his centre back partner, and then eventually Tavares knocked, got onto the ball because the centre back gave up on it. That wasn't us winning the ball. That was directing the opposition to play awkwardly into certain areas. And we got the ball off both those opportunities, or we didn't technically get the ball off the Capetti one, but we technically, or I guess theoretically, because we didn't have a shot created a one-on-one opportunity out of that so yeah just to add that to the point of the man uh the high pressing the man uh the winning stuff the winning the ball man stuff versus the directing the play zone stuff um with the speed of our attacks and again we're doing a lot of dean smith versus latanzio but it's relevant i think it's relevant to speak about this because it's our first mls game with dean smith both managers want to play the ball up the pitch quickly with in terms of long ball in terms of just going from defence attack with a ball over the top. Different ways of going about it. You mentioned there that Dean Smith wants to do it like with speed. It's like straight away. And, and that's true. As soon as we win the ball back or the, team, uh, the opposition give it away when we have it in defence, let's hit them when they're disorganised. Let's get them when their fullbacks are, are up and maybe they've got a midfielder further up. and We've got space to play with and let's... Let's embrace the chaos. Let's thrive in the chaos because we feel like with our two wingers and Capetti, we have the athletes that can take advantage of this space. Latanzio, the way that he played and, and the way that we would do things with balls over top, and we touched on this a fair bit last season, it was playing out from the back, kind of pottering around with the ball a little bit, baiting the press. And instead of baiting the press for us to play through the press with finding the extra man, finding the third man, and then we go. It was baiting the press until we had a numbers advantage once they'd committed enough players. So like, okay, now we go over the top and either we win the ball and we've got it, great, let's go. Or we go for an aerial duel, the ball is available and we have equal numbers between both sides to win it in a really dangerous area and now we go. So that's one of the differences that we have between these two sides in that we're we're embracing the chaos as it comes. Latanzio was almost trying to create the chaos through method and it's it's two ways of going about things and and one's not right one's not wrong but dean smith's version it of it is. meshes a little bit better with the rest of his philosophy than latanzio's does i think at least at this stage we're still early days but i, I won't be i won't be wedded to that but i think off the back of this weekend it, it did all kind of mesh together even if it's not my ideal version of football yeah it is i think it'll be one of my favorite things to say now uh, that there are coaches in the world whose whose idea is to create chaos via really extreme levels of organization. And uh, that just makes me feel good on the inside. Uh, I think I'm going to stop us <laughs> there for this particular match, other than... Actually, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to go over time here, but it's the first match of the season. Who cares? Uh, hopefully, you listeners will stick with us for a few extra minutes. The Capetti mischance. How much money do you think he would give to have that one back? <laughs> um, I don't know. Enough, uh, enough so that we can maybe get another DP slot. Is, is that something that we can do? <laughs> not, not as a shot at Capetti. I like it. I've defended him before. But yeah, if we're talking, if we're talking literal money, then let, let's make it benefit the team if we're going to take money out of his pocket. Um, I, yeah. I, I to, just... To, I hurt for him in that particular shot because that was a really good opportunity for him to just get off the mark early and silence everything. 
right? And I'm not out here going, ah, oh, Capetti, I didn't give him a card. I'm not out here saying Capetti is not going to make it. And nothing like that. I just think that he put himself in such a good position. He did all the work and then whiffed the chance. And he could have just silenced everything. And the value of that for him would have been immense from my perspective. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it would have it would have been massive. It would have um I mean he's a he's a player that outside of the players that have left drove most of the conversation in the offseason as to, you know, what do you think of him? Do you think he's good? I think he's bad. Do you like the you know the way he plays, everything like that? Him getting a goal in a win would have been massive. Um and also I touched on it there how that chance came about. Dean Smith and the coaching staff would have felt real vindication play style. Wise, if the way that we pressed zonally, trying to get the ball into areas which the opposition feel uncomfortable, if that would have ended up in a chance, which then our, our striker, who we were emphasizing, to stay within the middle of the pitch, not drift out, stay in those areas and be a poacher when they get the opportunity comes. If he would have scored from one of those, it would have been like high fives all around, like everything that we've been working on for months, however long it's been, has come to fruition. Um, but like I say about strikers at all levels as long as chances are there i i'm kind of i'm kind of fine with missed chances i don't get on players as on players backs for missed chances as much as other people will do I, I think that this is a sport which is cutthroat and really hard to get to the top of and the technical quality of these players is beyond anything that you can believe and eventually, there are the elites who will overperform over and over again. And then there are leagues where players, some will be a little bit more clinical than others. Some will be a little bit less. But ultimately, if chances are coming, a top professional with Capetti, who has the track record of scoring, is going to put them away. So I don't really worry about this at all. It would have been annoying if this ended up being a chance that was missed in a game that we drew one all. But I almost feel like we've won this game anyway, and he can bank that opportunity. As long as they keep on coming, we'll be all right. The best strikers get chances, and then they finish a fair few of them, but they also miss a fair few of them. I'm going to go ahead and jump us to our next game, and that is we have a Canadian double coming up. We're going to be away from the bank for quite a while, but the first Canadian team we have to play is the Vancouver Whitecaps. They were a decent team last year. They did make the playoffs. Um, in the offseason, they did make some changes. They went and they found a couple of players and the thing that stands out to me the most about what they brought in in the offseason, they have not played in the MLS yet. So we have not officially seen them bring out their game day squad. Uh, their opener against Charlotte will be the first time for them in 2024. What stands out for me is they brought in a lot of height and some experience. If you look down the list of the people they brought in, they brought in a couple of attackers uh, a man named Demir Krilach and Fafa Pikult, 32 years old and 34-year-old, one of them 6'2", one of them 5'7", a couple of attacking options, but they're not really the ones that I want to talk about. The ones that I want to talk about are more of the defensive options that they have, have seen come in. Last year, they switched from a 2 at the back to a 3 at the back system. And they switched mid-season, and I think it caused them more issues than they were expecting. They leaned pretty heavily on a couple of people who may not have been ready for the role. And uh, Blackman, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder this one, but Veslinovich have 
kind of been their two that they go after from a defensive position. Since playing in uh, preseason, they have also put in Laborda in defense in that back three. That has, has been their line. But somebody who has come in regularly and was acquired in the offseason is a man named Bjorn Utvik. And Bjorn Utvik is not a nobody, in my opinion. In fact, I think my first impression of him is that I would rate him quite high as a potential defensive rock for that team. He has come in in preseason with a couple of showings off of the bench as to whether or not he's going to make an immediate uh, effect on the team. I'm not sure. He is a six foot tall Norwegian center back. He's 27 years old. He's got a couple of goals for, for his previous career. So I think that this is a player that if they are going to rely on means that they can also look to things like set pieces. And I think that with some of the other height in their team, set pieces might be something that they can target. Ewan, how are you looking at this team and how do you think Charlotte's going to get through them? Yeah, you mentioned that the, the guy that I have a little bit of familiar to, uh, familiarity with there is, uh, like you mentioned, yeah, I think he is, uh, he's someone who plays bigger than his size. You mentioned there, six foot. He's a, he definitely plays a lot bigger than that in terms of his physicality, which uh, plays into the set piece part that you, uh, that you mentioned there. Um, and again, it's the it's the three at the back stuff, and, and maybe not to touch on them so much, but also uh, almost to project how we played against New York City, how we might play against this opposition. Um, they'll be playing with their formation, I assume. Um, they'll keep uh, they'll keep the three four uh, three four one two, and it'll be interesting to see how our zone will uh, set up, adjusts to the way that they go about that. Um, they'll also, I assume, be starting Ryan Gold who is a player that I'm quite familiar with because he's Scottish. <laughs> um, and I, I do think that that is the area of the pitch which we'll have to have a real think about in terms of that free man. Like, if we're going to play the zonal stuff, that has its benefits, as I mentioned. But when you have that one playmaker there, like the 10 almost hasn't fully died in MLS yet, like it has in other in other leagues. If you have man-to-man marking, it's like, okay, you're on him. You follow him around the pitch. You negate him. That's something that you saw in major leagues across Europe. A lot happened with number 10s. If we're going to go about things with uh, zonally, how are we going to deal with him? How are we going to make sure that he's not getting into those little pockets where we're in a zonal system and what can happen is it's like, oh, I thought I had him. Oh, I thought you had him. Or we're passing him between each other. He's come behind the back of someone else. He gets in front of someone. It's like, you've got him. No, I've got him. And guess what? No one has him, and he's free, and he's in dangerous areas. Um, so that'll be interesting so, how we kind of hand off him. So I'm excited for that part. But yeah, it's uh, it's so overall. You looking... in... <laughs> Sorry, because I got a question for you, and I want I want to pick yeah, yeah, your yeah. brain on this. They're gonna run up the wings, right? Part of playing a back five, or in their case, a three-four-one-two, is that they're gonna overload the wings. They're gonna allow those attacking players to stagger and run wide, and they're gonna have those. Uh, Looks like Burhalter and uh, Raposo, depending on who actually makes the first cut, right? They're going to run up the wings, probably looking to target and overload one of our two older, more experienced, but not super fast fullbacks. Would you say the two sitting in the middle should hand off the duties of the 10 
right? If they're on the right side, whoever's on the left shuffles over and handles the, and almost man marks the 10 while that other player pushes over and helps deal with the overload. Or do you think this is a game for we pick somebody and we say you are the this is the one spot in the field we are playing a man mark? The number 10, we're picking this guy. It's his job and we are going to shuffle around. Everything else will still be sort of zone, but that number 10 is a man mark. What do you feel like? Yeah, I mean, you can you can get hybrid with man versus zonal um, when it comes to out-of-possession pressure. That is usually something which you would reserve for playing against the opposition's build-up. When it comes to trying to mark a number 10, that can get a little bit more difficult when you're talking about hybrid press of, or at least hybrid out-of-possession setup of part of its man, part of its zonal. That can get a little bit muddier when you get uh, further up the pitch from a, or further back uh, of the pitch uh, from a defensive perspective. What I would suggest is making sure that zonally you're always denying the spaces that you're worried about a player receiving the ball. So say the ball is out wide in those overload situations. We've made it quite clear from the New York City game, and maybe this will change in this game based on the players that they have in the box, that we are happy to deal with the ball out wide. And if it comes to the box, we fancy our chances in terms of dealing with it because we've got Melanda and Privet, who are both pretty big guys. And we have a keeper who we feel pretty confident can deal with crosses that he should be dealing with. So if we're going from a perspective that we are happy to have them have the ball out there, midfield-wise, if we can get in deep, and we're not man-marking players, but if we can shuffle with the space of where the ball coming into the half space would be from a player out wide. So, okay, they're going down the line, stay on the edge of the box. Okay, they're coming back, move forward a little bit so that you're adjacent with the... um, with the edge of the box and, and where the ball is out wide, just always be denying those spaces. Keep your head on a swivel for the player, but you can almost you can almost kind of know instinctively, okay, this is where I need to be because this is where we're scared of him receiving the ball. And even if he's not here, I'm where I'm supposed to be in this zonal setup. And that just makes things a little bit more clear. When we talk about this stuff as well, and I'll just do a little half minute on this. When we talk about this out of possession stuff, what's important is that players are not on the pitch with a load of things in the head, convoluted, and it's getting very, very tough for them to manage things in very quick time. That's the thing with man to zonal, which can be difficult. Okay, my man right now, my zonal, three seconds later, I'm meant to be doing something else. If you can just say, okay, zonal, you're here, and when the opposition have the ball deep in our third, this is the space we want you to deny. So wherever the ball is, just be in these positions. If it moves there, be in this position, based off where this area is, that's clarity because they can move with that. And that's almost what I would suggest, rather than the hybrid nature of going man to zonal, deep in your own third. All right, Ewan, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, I'm going to make you make make a prediction. Away at Vancouver, Charlotte versus Vancouver, what's your prediction for the match? Um, I prefaced earlier by saying that it's good that we got a win ahead of this long trip, which almost showed my hand that I'm not optimistic for it. Um, I, low scoring would be my general prediction. A one a one nil either way I could see. So let me go with a one all. I think that would be a good result. Yeah. I'm going to copy you. I also I had one all planned for a while. I think there's are both <laughs> teams that can have a moment. And they're both teams that have enough attacking talent to have a moment. But they're also both reasonably solid defensively i don't see this being a blowout but watch the moment i say that it's gonna be like a nine <laughs> goal thriller 
Um, I can take nil nil to spice it up in in a no. sentence that no one has ever said. <laughs> you can have one all. I can have nil nil just to keep things just keep things spicy. <laughs> the other uh, great quotes from today. I'll take nil nil just to keep things spicy. Uh, that's it. We're gonna go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, most importantly, if you have taken the time to be with us, to listen to us, thank you so much. We know there's a lot of things that you could be doing and that you share that time with us means the world and we love you. Uh, if you would like to join us on Patreon, please look us up. Your support means the world to us. You will get a personal message from me saying thank you. I'm not kidding. If you know any of the Patreon members, you can ask them. They'll tell you it's the truth. It's just five bucks a month. You can find us on Patreon at The Crowncast. That's it. You and thank you so much. Yeah, always a pleasure. We're, uh, we're in the chair now. The first game's done and before you know it, we'll have played five games and then we'll have played ten games and then we'll be right in the thick of it. So, uh, yeah, happy to get things started and, uh, yeah, always happy to be here with you, mate. And we will have won all of them, which will mean we don't actually have that much stuff to talk about, but I'm okay with that. And we will talk to you again after we go and take our next three points from Vancouver. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.